You know, all of the wisdom in the world doesn't really lie with uh, record companies and their promotion men and, and probably the A&R guys. I can remember a case, Roy, with a record from one of your albums called Lana. And we called it here at Seafun uh, in Vancouver when I was the program manager, played it. It became a big hit in Canada, and they released it as a single. Now, something else happened to it, you were saying. Well, yes, uh, we cut Lana, and... Um in those days, I would write a song, we would go in and record it and release it, and it was a hit. So at one of the sessions, I had done a song called Lana, and uh, we released a single, and then I cut another single, and we got to listening back to it, and uh, it seemed old to us. Of course, nobody else had heard it, but it seemed old. And so... Uh, what an old approach, you mean? Well, no, it just, it just uh, got old uh, in those days. If you didn't really pop it out, I feel the same way today. Right. If you write something and record it, it's a now thing, put it out. So uh, I said, well, no. You know, after I listened a while, I said, no. Uh, everybody said, no, we'll, we'll just put it in the album. But after I had left Monument in 65, along about 67 or 68, they did release it as a single in England, and it was in the top three, yeah. as, as late as 68. So, Isn't that wild? Uh, seven or eight years later, it still held up. Everybody knows all of the incredible success on Monument, and certainly you and I have talked about all the hits, the uh, things like Leah. I, I must know at least six families in this town and named their daughter Leah if they had a daughter. <laughs> right. That's become a, is that true <laughs> elsewhere? Oh, yes. Uh -huh. I had never heard the name before when I wrote the song. I was trying to think of a name that was an island name, mm -hmm. and I'd never been to an island. And, uh, you know, the kind of island that I was picturing. Sure, and, uh, paradise. Paradise. And uh, Leah sounded nice. And uh, that's, you know, and then later I would start signing autographs for Leah, you know, a two-year-old Leah and a three-year-old Leah. And Fred Foster has a daughter named Leah. Isn't it wild, Leah? Beautiful thing. Uh, Joe Melson used to, uh, it says on the label at any rate, uh, uh, help or cooperate in writing or whatever. How long did that association go on? That went on, Red, for the first couple of years. And then I started hitting the road. Mm -hmm. And uh, that left uh, great gaps in his time schedule. So it made it difficult for me to come into town and write songs uh, to get something going, go out of town. So uh, I found that I had, he then had to find another partner, because I was touring internationally quite a lot. Uh, he found another partner, a series of partners, and I started writing by, just by myself when I wrote uh, Leah and uh, Working for the Man and In Dreams and things like that. I was doing all that by myself. you got to do that again, Roy, I think. Um, yeah, I think I will. No, i I tell you what I think. I think that the era <clears throat> is back again for what I would call simplicity in music as opposed to the message thing. Now, you also had a message record, which we'll talk about later, called uh, Communication Breakdown. Remember that on MGM? Right, yeah. Um, but now we're back to that simple era, and proof of it is not in what I'm saying or feeling. But you take a lot of the hits today are repeats of songs that came out in 56, much of your material, and they're back because they did have something lyrical and something wonderful about them. And it wasn't necessarily just the words, it was the feeling of the song. Uh, as a guy that's played records for 25 years, if you put a record on the turntable, put a needle to it, it's got a feeling about it. I never heard words, you know, I never knew mm -hmm. words as a jockey because you're playing so many of them. But there was a feeling about that little two and a half minutes. You know what I'm saying? I sure do. It's a, it's a thing that uh, it sort of defies description, 
But I do know as a professional that the first two or three hundred thousand records are sold on what you just said. Not not on the lyric, not no. on the melody, not on anything but a a feeling of the record. And then it seems people delve a little deeper. That's right. And they hear a little mel melody that they like, and they hear they start seeing if the lyric holds up. Now at that point, commercially speaking, if you don't have a good lyric, then it kind of then falls it dies, away. Right. But if you have a good lyric, then it carries on. And if you have a good melody, then you're home free, all the way to the million and on up and up and up. Interesting analogy, because I believe that. I knew the first part because I've felt it for so many years, but I never thought of it to the uh, to the next logical steps. Say, one of the great things that happened to you here, I guess it was a year ago, uh, and a compliment too, because I guess she sold a few million or billion nowadays, because records that sell a million are not really anything. Linda Ronstadt and people showed up at your at your concert at the Santa Monica Auditorium, if I'm right from memory here, uh, and then she, after, shortly after that she recorded Blue Bayou. Yes, she did. Uh, I think the thing came about in a roundabout way back years ago when uh, uh, I'd done a tour with the Beatles in 63 and they came to my birthday party in 64, all except Paul, because he was dating uh, Jane Asher and uh, had a heavy date that night. So uh, he didn't. He couldn't make it, and uh, her brother was Peter Asher, who is uh, Linda's manager and recorder. Uh, From Peter and Gordon when yes, they were recording. And then we toured as Peter and Gordon. They were on some of the shows, and then uh, the Eagles, who used to back Linda, mm -hmm. Ronstad, uh, taught Linda the song. A couple of the boys did. They said it's great. She hadn't heard it, and uh, although it, you know it sold a million or two for me, and then Danny Davis had had a uh, record with it uh, instrumentally. That's right. Uh, she, in fact, when we uh, when we finally did meet and we were singing songs for each other, she asked me to uh, to sing "Blue by You," and uh, I was a bit reluctant to do it because she'd just gone triple platinum with the thing, you know, in, in an album right. and her first gold single mm -hmm. ever. And uh, so I said, "Well, just to prove I wrote it, <laughs> I will do it." So uh, uh, I sang it. And she was right in my face. She said, I knew that wasn't Echo, you know, when I was singing. Right. So, which was a compliment. But she did record it, and that does tie in with what you're saying. That song was written in 1961-ish or two-ish. I remember the session very well because we did, uh, we booked three sessions back-to-back. -back. That's uh, nine hours of recording. And in those sessions, we recorded Crying, mm -hmm. Candyman, uh, Mean Woman Blues, and Blue Bayou in one evening. But it is back to a simpler time, Roy. I think that for Roy Orbison, I talk only <clears throat> giving you the input that I've had from your fans and fans of music. Uh, I think everyone's been waiting for Roy Orbison to come out again with your own original material. I think the timing's right. One of the problems today is radio exposure in that, you know, you can't define Roy Orbison as a rocker because you never were that. You were always yourself. Uh, you can't define Roy Orbison as a country singer. Uh, it's a combination of all of those things. So getting airplay has to be one of the difficulties today with your unique sound. But I think that's going to change is what I'm saying. I think it will too, Red. I think the, the well, I know the basic problem has been lack of released material since 19... Oh, the MGM era, you know, anyway. 67 yeah. about. 67 to uh, now. Right. Uh, in fact, my last sing the last single recorded, the uh, last single released, 
I've done a lot of recording lately. I've got Good. Uh, got a couple of albums recorded. Very Good. nice. Uh, some of my own material, and some of which is like uh, I think what you're wanting to hear. Uh, and my last single release was uh, January of last year, and I've done one. Al I've had one album release in the last three or four years. I know. The thing is, if you don't put the records out, you know it's hard to play them if you don't have exactly. them. Exactly. Now then, once having gotten them, if they're if they're not pure, if they're not uh, not really me, you're going to tell that, you'll be able to tell that right away, straight away. Uh, and when I say you, I mean the yourself, listeners. the listeners, everybody. I mean, you, you can't fool people. Uh, uh, you can't uh, impersonate what's going on today. So, and you can't even impersonate yourself, you know. I try. I knew in, by 1963, I knew that I would... I was caught in the trap trying to write for myself, mm -hmm. and uh, because there was a Roy Orbison then, you know, he had come to the fore and he was doing well, and uh, I spent six months frustration writing for Roy Orbison until I found out that that's who I was. <laughs> so I see. I so get I it. started back then writing sure. for myself and uh, just writing for the song, and uh, any new future product which was should be uh, by the end of the year will be released should be exactly what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Good, simple songs with, uh, uh, when I say simple... Uh, with a heart in it. Yes, well, Crying is a very simple song, but it's very involved, That's right. technically. Uh, all of the uh, the chords and the, the progressions and the changes are very... But if the end result is simplicity and that feeling is there, then you've got it made, so...